your grinder down and turn your radio up. This is the Vermont to Wanna Podcast. Lighting up the airwaves. And now, here's your host, rolling it up nice and tight, Eli Herring. All right, Vermont Tawana podcast, episode number eight, Elevate the State. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Eli Harrington. Happy to be back here. Happy to be talking about Vermont cannabis, Vermont marijuana, Vermont Tawana. This episode, we are going to talk about politics. It's that time of year again. You thought you were sick of talking about politics already? Well, guess what? We're going to talk about weed politics here in the state of Vermont. Because although things have been pretty quiet, I would say so far this year, um, Vermont cannabis has been trumped. Add in the add in the, the the applause factor there. Yeah, yeah, the cheering sound effect. Yep, that's the one. Perfect. Vermont cannabis has been trumped by larger issues. Uh, we've got a whole new administration, a new executive, new leadership in the House, new leadership in the Senate, new committees, new committee leadership. Not a lot of new faces as far as lobbyists. Uh, some things never change down there in Montpelier. Uh, still see a lot of the same people who I've seen for the last five, six, seven, ten years going down and spending time and uh, under the Golden Dome. But you know that's how it is in the small state of Vermont. And uh, it's interesting because a lot of times lobbyists do serve sort of as as de facto think tanks, and that they get into this research. They're not always using it for the uh, for the most generally beneficial purposes, but we don't hate lobbyists, appreciate what they do um, and the role that they play. And we try to talk to a lot of them and get inside information about what's going on, what the issues are going to be, what things look like for 2017. And before we get into that, and by that I mean our preview for the 2017 session, which includes a press conference that I attended today at the State House featuring the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana, before we get into all that and tell you exactly what things are going to come up and when and how, maybe not exactly what things, we're not going to tell you everything because uh, kind of nature of the gig being a podcaster about Vermont cannabis is you end up keeping a lot of secrets. So we're not going to tell you everything, but, but, but we've got some good info and some good outlook. Before we get into the 2017 session though, I think it's probably important to kind of set the table and do a little recap of what happened last year and where we're at. As you'll hear Matt Simon of the MPP say, a lot's changed since the last session. Um, <laughs> oh God, so much, so much has changed politically. So, 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 so much. Whatever your political affiliation might be, whoever you might have voted for in, uh, in the local, statewide, or national elections, a lot has changed and we are certainly in a, in a new world. Maybe in a brave new world. We'll have to see how things play out. But it's safe to say that so far in 2017 in Vermont, cannabis has been trumped. Yep, add that sound effect in. Yep, the clapping one. Applause, perfect. Yep, great. Cannabis has been trumped so far in 2017. There has been a lot more attention paid to other issues. And generally speaking, there's a new governor, there's a new lieutenant governor, there are new, there's new leadership in the House, new leadership in the Senate. 
new committees, uh, people being reshuffled. It's it's a two-year, it's a biennium. So the legislative session lasts two years, and they've been getting all that set up over the last course of the month. Same thing happening at the national level. So before we, uh, again, before we get into what's going on now and we sort of look back, there's a lot that's happened. Um, in the fall, in the summer, there were six different off-season sessions that were held by the Joint Committee on Justice Oversight, formerly the Corrections Committee. That was 10 very powerful senators and representatives uh, from both houses, obviously, who came together. They listened to a lot of different testimony. I had the chance to testify, and I thank them again for that. A lot of other folks did as well, and I think what we're, uh, what we're looking at is coming into the 2017 with a lot of representatives who are much more familiar about the details around cannabis policy. Now again, zooming even further out, Vermont does not have referendums. Vermont does not have binding referendums. It is forbidden in the Vermont Constitution, written in 1777 in the old Constitution House in Windsor, Vermont. Um, we are not allowed to have binding referendums. Only the legislature makes the law. So what does that mean? That means that we do not have a package that comes up for legalization and we say, yes, we want that or no, we don't. Okay. The only way it can be passed is through the legislature. There could be a referendum where we say, yes, we want that, but it doesn't matter. Nothing is going to happen with that. Maybe a representative takes that and applies it. But as we've seen in Massachusetts, even if you are allowed to have referendums, the legislature is still going to, for lack of a better word, fuck with it quite a bit. Um, and we're seeing massive delays down there in mass directly <laughs> in opposition to the spirit of the referendum that was passed. So it's an advantage and a disadvantage. You know, the advantage of not having referendums is that theoretically our legislature can make more sort of nuanced, more specific bills, take things one step at a time and separate all of these different things, whether it's legalization from tax and regulation, whether it's medical updates from other updates, they really get to look at all these issues separately and theoretically um, take them all on separately. So again, we're not ever going to have a referendum on weed. If we do, it's only going to delay things. And I know that the opposition has considered pushing that as a strategy, saying, oh, let's have a referendum and see what the population thinks. We know from polling, we know from common sense, Vermonters know prohibition has failed. The time is now, blah, blah, blah. You know the, you know the, you know the rest, you know the rest. Um, but seriously, the majority is, is pretty clear in Vermont. It's steady at over 55%. If you look at the demographic breakdowns, Vermont is the oldest state in the country. Uh, millennials support this. Over 70% of conservative identifying millennials support this. So in some ways it's a generational issue, but it's pretty clear in Vermont that the support is there. And with passage in Massachusetts and Maine, that is only going to increase. That's obviously a big change that's happened, and we've already seen it having an impact. When we talk to representatives, when we talk to senators, the fact that I can be in southern Vermont, drive 10 minutes south, go see my buddy, play around a golf, get some of his home grow, drive back 10 minutes north into, into let's say, Bennington County, you know, um, cross state lines with, with that weed, that's a big problem. And uh, representatives understand that with New England being so small that it's really foolish to try to build a, to, to try to build a wall. 
an artificial wall around Vermont. Who wants to build a wall? That's such a dumb idea. God damn, I would never vote for that. Um, unless somebody else pays for it. If somebody else is paying for it, maybe. Maybe we'll get New Hampshire to pay for the weed wall. And that will protect us from all of this legal weed coming in, at least for Maine. At least for Maine. I don't know. Maybe a politician will run on that. We'll see. Uh, but until there's a weed wall, the reality is that the rest of New England having legalization and homegrown already taking effect in Massachusetts. I mean, they had an end of prohibition party. Shout out to uh, the Cannabis Society of Massachusetts. Uh, Arden Cannabis, a lot of our friends down there. When prohibition uh, ended, they had a party at a hotel with a dab bar. People in suits ripping legal dabs in Quincy, Massachusetts. Pretty wild. Okay, Quincy's not that far. I've done the drive from Boston to Vermont probably 150 times in the course of the last decade. That's not an exaggeration. Shout out to Brandeis University. But, um, so that's a big factor. Um, really what happened last year is uh, we tried to do too much at once. S241 had so much in it as far as regulation, as far as really changing the game. There was an opportunity to realize a moment in time but the fact is that the, the legislature, um, probably specifically the House, really was not ready to go anywhere near as far as S-241 proposed. And it was missing some crucial things like legalization of homegrown, right? So a lot of reasons not to support a bill that went from kind of zero to 60. And we found ourselves with a lot of moderate representatives, especially again in the House, who could not get on board with that. And a lot of uh, moderates and conservatives who said, you know, why do we want to go to this commercialized model when people do not have the individual liberty to provide their own and grow their own natural herbaceous uh, substances? So I think if we're looking at kind of a, God, I guess it's like a, um, you know, when, when we're at the coroner and we're doing sort of the, uh, um, the anatomy. Oh, so I guess if we're doing the autopsy of the 2017 session, right, that kind of sums it up. Try to do too much, did not have the House on board, had a lot of politicians who were running. Uh, you know, we had statewide elections. Shout out to our new Lieutenant Governor, David Zuckerman, who did run on a cannabis platform and as a progressive, won along with a uh, Republican, moderate Republican governor very clear about his support for cannabis and I think that was a very positive sign uh, and a very clear signal from voters that they supported someone who took a common sense stance on that issue and had been consistent in that stance making logical reasoned arguments. So uh, thank you again to now Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman. But again, that's kind of where, where we were at. Now what's happened as far as the local political changes here in Vermont? We have a new governor. This is a new governor who is uh, supported by police, as they say, because he is an opponent of cannabis. Uh, Vermont Watchdog reported this. I think it was Chief George Merkel out of Virgens who had said that that was part of why the police chiefs unions were uh, supporting uh, now governor Phil Scott. And even though there is a new public safety, uh, there's a new head of public safety in Vermont, a new top cop, a new top law enforcement official, the head of the state police is the same. All those troopers are the same. Um, all those chiefs of police are the same. So really do not expect a lot to change with that. But the fact is we have a new governor in place. 
Um, he's someone who has proven to be fairly moderate, uh, pretty practical, pretty open-minded as far as listening to, to good arguments, and someone who wants to find revenue and needs to find revenue in this state without raising taxes. And if only there was some sort of, I don't know, some sort of substance like, like a plant. So it didn't take a lot of infrastructure, you know, like you just put it in the ground and you kind of like grow revenue from it. Like you could grow money from a bush, from a plant, from a, from an herb. I don't know. It would be, that'd be pretty sweet. And you know, it really helped out a conservative who wants to be pro-business and needs to raise revenues and have a balanced state budget, but can't just make money appear out of thin air otherwise. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, just, just thinking, just, just thinking. But, um, no, the reality is that that Governor Phil Scott, um, whatever you think about him, is probably not going to jump into a full tax and regulate model in his first year in office. These are two-year terms for Vermont governor, so you got to start running by your second year. Again, I think um, hopefully it doesn't take really dire economic circumstances to get him to see the light and appreciate that there's a shitload of money out there waiting to be just shuffled into state coffers, waiting to be uh, brought into the legal recognized market, waiting to become a lot of small businesses and help out people in every part of the state, including a lot of people who are right now considered criminals. So looking at that, that's kind of where we're coming from. Now, where we go, where we go, that's another question. This press conference is brought to you by the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. Shout out to the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. How many friends do you have in Montpelier lobbying full-time for cannabis legalization? I'll wait. The Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana is a broad and diverse group of businesses, individuals, former police, former lawmakers, shot callers, ballers, weed bloggers, um, and a lot of other good folks who are willing to put their names out there and say, we want legalization, we want home grow, we want progress, we want people to not be criminals for making adult choices, exercising their individual liberty. That's what the Vermont Coalition is. And guess what? It's a big old party and everyone's invited. So check out regulatevermont.org, add your name to that list so that way when we're up there talking to people and uh, they say, well, we have 5,000 people on our email list who all signed a petition, or they send out an action alert and we get 100 phone calls. That all happens because we're all connected. There's someone, uh, they're a group that we work with, they're a group that we support, they're a group that we are happy to, uh, to collaborate with, and we want to help make some things happen politically. So check out the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. <laughs> all right, we're going to get started. So welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm here with Laura Subin, director of the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. I'm Matt Simon from the Marijuana Policy Project. As I think we all know, the world of marijuana policy has shifted pretty dramatically since we stood at this podium one year ago. In November, the number of states moving forward with marijuana legalization and regulation for adult use doubled from four to eight. And perhaps more importantly for Vermonters, the trend has made its way to two New England states, including Massachusetts. Legislative, legislative leaders in Vermont have correctly described the victories in Massachusetts and Maine as a game changer for Vermont. 
Today, marijuana is already legal for adults in both states to grow, possess, and share with other adults. Today, Vermonters can already visit Massachusetts or Maine and obtain marijuana from their friends who may be growing legally under state law. Retail stores in both states are expected to open in 2018. This development will expand legal access to any Vermonter who is able to make the short trip to these neighboring states. So there's no way all this toothpaste can be forced back into the tube. Prohibition has simply obviously failed, and the majority of Vermonters, like other New Englanders, are ready to move forward with a new approach. This approach should begin with the elimination of penalties for adults' possession of marijuana, including a limited number of plants. Any way you slice it, marijuana is objectively less harmful than alcohol, and there is no justification for the state to continue punishing adults who consume it responsibly. Vermont could also realize many benefits from regulating and taxing the production and sale of marijuana and allowing Vermont businesses, including small-scale Vermont farmers, access to a legal market rather than well watching them lose out to state-regulated businesses in Massachusetts and Maine. However, today we are here to focus on making one simple point. The time has come to stop punishing adult Vermonters for their responsible, responsible possession of marijuana and use of marijuana. Marijuana prohibition has had devastating consequences in Vermont and around the country, consequences that continue to disproportionately impact poor communities and communities of color. Ending this prohibition is first and foremost a critical reform to our criminal justice system, a reform that impacts the civil liberties of all Vermonters. Um, for that reason, we're very proud to um, Welcome the ACLU of Vermont. Jay Diaz is the, a staff attorney and interim political director, and the ACLU is a member of our coalition. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm, all, I'm here to speak about three quick things with regard to legalization of marijuana. First, um, although the state has taken positive steps forward and decriminalized in the past, I will tell you, for a lot of people, they still feel like criminals when they possess marijuana, even in small quantities. Um, I, we have a client at the ACLU, some of you may have heard, uh, who's been in litigation for three years because when an officer said that he smelled marijuana in his car, even though uh, he hadn't been smoking marijuana and it was just on his way home from work, uh, he, uh, the officer ordered him out of the car, seized his car, searched his car, and made our client walk home eight miles uh, and show up at the station later that night to pick up his car, at which time he had to pay $150 tow fee to get his car back. Um, you know, this is not the kind of situation that was envisioned, but unfortunately it still has resulted because our decriminalization statute does not actually um, make people feel uh, comfortable with, with possession and use. Furthermore, this is a civil rights issue. If you look at the stop data, uh, you see uh, people of color are more likely to be stopped, more likely to be searched, um, but in fact less likely to be found with contraband. However, most of the time, police are asking uh, and looking for uh, drugs and marijuana, and that is just simply um, a problem that continues in our society, and we need to put an end to it. Finally, uh, you know, in this discussion, there's been a strong um, 
there's been a lot of comments around do we need uh, saliva testing, do we need, uh, do we have to worry about more driving under the influence? The fact is people are already driving under the influence. Um, we don't need more drug testing. We don't need uh, someone swabbing, an officer swabbing in your mouth to know, uh, know anything about whether you're under the influence. We have law enforcement trained to detect that. Uh, the fact of the matter is, with regard to saliva testing, it's junk science and it doesn't give any information as to whether someone is actually under the influence. So the ACLU strongly rejects any uh, notion that we need to uh, include saliva testing on the road with, uh, uh, as a quid quo, quo pro for legalization. Uh, with that, I'll, I'll turn it back over. We'd like to acknowledge the um, lawmakers in the room who have been essential in in this cause to bring um, attention to this issue as a criminal, as an issue of criminal justice reform. We have Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman, Representative Sam Young, Representative Barbara Rachelson, and a number of members of our coalition um, with us here today. I'd also like to introduce former Representative Susie Wizawadi, who's the Executive Director of Vermonters for Criminal Justice Reform. Thank you, Laura. Look, we, we know that uh, drugs have always been with us. Uh, people, for as far back as we know about cultures, there have been drugs used ritually, used for religious purposes, used for recreational purposes, and probably used to dull pain. And we also know that there have been, throughout history, efforts to limit or prohibit the use of uh, drugs. These, these uh, efforts have popped up over and over. There have been prohibitions on coffee, on wine, on alcohol, and uh, on other drugs, and of course, these prohibitions always fail. In the US, historians have pointed out that the history of drug policy here has been inextricably linked with certain populations, so that uh, opium was first criminalized when it was associated with Chinese immigrants, marijuana was associated with Mexicans, and cocaine was associated, uh, especially crack cocaine, with African Americans. Now, the, the, the war on drugs is just the latest effort to prohibit drug use, limit drug use. Uh, and as we all know, or as most people widely acknowledge, it's been a colossal failure. Now, it is not a failure if, like uh, Gabor Mate, you believe that the purpose of the war on drugs was to further um, marginalize, uh, incarcerate, lock up, you know, um, uh, disenfranchise certain populations, like, because, of course, we all know that people of color have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. If, that's been, if that was the goal, then it's working. If the goal is actually to reduce use, then the answer is not criminalizing it. If the goal is to reduce use, because we know criminalizing it doesn't work, then the, the approach would be to regulate its use. Punishment does not deter regulating its use. We want to regulate it so that people don't have to engage in illegal activity in order to get it, so that you don't get sent back to jail if you're using it, if you're on probation or furlough. Regulate it so that it's safer for all of us, for communities and for individuals. So Vermonters for Criminal Justice Reform ardently supports regulation. Thank you. Questions? Yeah, yeah Matt, uh, it sounds like you're, you're seeking a scaled back uh, agenda this year, uh, really trying to 
push legalization forward on a smaller scale without a big regulated market. Um, so is the regulated market like phase two? I think what we're saying, and I, I believe our position's been consistent all along, that we, we believe adults should not be punished for using cannabis, and we believe there should be a regulated market, and we believe people should be able to grow their own and share with their friends. Uh, all of those things are still our positions. However, I think we will see this term more of a piecemeal approach, maybe one committee. We haven't gotten any bills introduced yet, so it's hard to talk about legislation that doesn't exist. But if, say, a Judiciary Committee is working on a bill that eliminates penalties, we'll be very supportive of that. I think there will be other bills introduced that will have regulatory and tax components. And if committees want to work on those, we'll be there to support those. We want to support this conversation any way we can so, does it, so Vermont doesn't lag behind Massachusetts and Maine so that we're able to advance Vermont's marijuana policies into the 21st century along with neighboring states. What is, what's your position on the other marijuana bills that have been introduced so far, including the medical expansion? Uh, we don't have a comment on those as, as a Vermont coalition to regulate marijuana. It's outside the purview of, of that coalition. Um, I'd be happy to chat with you afterwards about, about those bills. Okay. Um, but you are anticipating the legislation will be introduced? I believe that the Senate has certainly made it clear that they're going to take a hard look at... Oh, at, sorry, not on medical. I believe that bills will be introduced in both chambers dealing with adult use legalization and whether they'll be taken up and uh, have a lot of time spent on them in committees will be up to the committee chairs. <laughs> what about, um, what do you say to those who are apprehensive to move forward given that there's been a change in federal administration and it's not clear what their policy is yet? <clears throat> well, one thing to think about there. The, the federal government cannot force Vermont to penalize marijuana use. So if Vermont were to simply eliminate penalties, uh, it would be hard to find a legal scholar who would argue that is preempted federally. If the federal government was going to stop any aspect of legalization, they would be able to interfere with the regulated market. I think that would be a terrible idea. It would be shifting billions of dollars in legal regulated commerce in states that are doing that, shifting it all back to the illicit market terrible idea from a policy perspective, but from the state perspective, yeah, I think people are going to want to take a step back and see what the new administration's policies will be relative to regulation. One of the voices that we are really happy to have in the mix in 2017 is the voice of the ACLU. That's the American Civil Liberties Union. These are people who are concerned about privacy, who are concerned about individual rights, we're concerned about sticking up for the little guy and defending you. ACLU is very much going to be involved this year, especially in working against the drug driving bill. Now we have all heard from the various radio ads that we have a drug driving problem here in Vermont. It's happening already. We've heard multiple state officials say that no matter what happens with marijuana, we've got to deal with drug driving because it is a scourge. It's not a scourge. It's tragic. It's tragic, but there are, I believe, uh, 60 deaths a year in Vermont um, that are from drug driving, and that includes alcohol. That's a lot. That's way too many. One is too many, right? But drug driving is an issue that law enforcement have been hammering as part of marijuana and saying that, well, we're going to have all these people who are driving high out there. What are we going to do? Guess what? 
They're already out there. Vermont is second per capita in the country, second highest state per month. That means that on a monthly basis, I think only Washington DC is higher than us as far as percentage of citizens who use cannabis in the course of a month. Okay, that's a lot. I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody that's spent any time in Vermont or lived here or grown up here. You know, it's, it's kind of part of the culture in different ways and not necessarily seen as a huge deal. Cannabis use, that is, not necessarily uh, high driving. But again, drug driving has been an issue. The state has been spending a lot of money on ad campaigns. I hear them on Pandora. You guys might as well. So they're clearly trying to address this. Uh, they feel like they need to address it even more. And the ACLU says, let's not infringe on people's personal rights to do this. If there needs to be more training for law enforcement, make that case. But guess what? Saliva testing? I will use, I'll paraphrase and say bullshit, okay? We got the ACLU saying that it is junk science and saying that they are ready to fight that. Okay, so just like we know that per se limits are really not based on anything, saliva testing, there's a reason that people are not using it, all right? And when law enforcement says that they need saliva testing, you need to be skeptical. When law enforcement says we need saliva testing and they bring a sample, a product sample from a company and refer to it by brand name, okay? This actually happened. I've heard multiple people in law enforcement say, I think it's Salivex, something like that. Say, this is the technology we need. Who the fuck told them about this one specific brand? Who is selling them on this? I don't know, maybe a pharmaceutical company? Maybe a company that makes saliva testing equipment? I don't know, you know, they would like to sell it to law enforcement? Get a nice big fat contract? I, I just connecting dots, you know, why, why do cops know the brand names of technology that does not yet exist? That to me sounds like there's been some successful lobbying uh, from some pharmaceutical players and some, uh, and some big business who wants to get in on the prohibition party. So the ACLU is firmly on board with the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana and saying that whatever happens with legalization, whatever happens with medical, whatever happens with, with home grow, uh, Drug driving, there are lines that you cannot cross or you will infringe upon people's civil liberties. And we are damn happy to have them on board. I'll say that as an advocate. I had a great opportunity to talk to Jay Diaz. He was in the press conference you just heard. And we caught up a little bit more a few minutes afterwards. Asked him to expand a little bit more about that and, uh, and really sort of illuminate some of the issues that are happening here in Vermont. So without further ado, Jay Diaz, staff attorney for the Vermont American Civil Liberties Union. Representing the ACLU of Vermont, great to have you guys involved. I'm sure a lot of advocates would agree. It sounds like we're looking at a piecemeal approach here. One thing I heard you talk about specifically was saliva testing, mm -hmm. talking about that as being junk science. That's something that we haven't seen implemented in other states, and I think a lot of people are worried it's going to be a quid pro quo, that there will not be legalization without some sort of law enforcement measure. Mm -hmm. Um, that seems like the worst one, but how do you sort of anticipate that playing out with, do we need additional training? Is the saliva testing something that has a lot of weight behind it? I mean, because it seems right up ACLU's alley. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, to back up, saliva testing, like I said, is junk science. Uh, it does not, you, you can't get the information about someone being under the influence of any drug, for that matter, uh, um, by testing their saliva. You can only 
understand whether there's drugs in their system. So it could be your prescription, it could be marijuana that was uh, ingested a week ago, uh, but you don't, no officer will know. Uh, and they want it to be implicit, just like a breathalyzer, but it doesn't work like a breathalyzer, and that's the biggest problem. Right. Um, so, so, it, it, so in addition, I mean, there's some obvious issues around privacy, around the potential for DNA collection through this measure, um, and, and the ACLU always is going to be concerned about um, that kind of uh, law enforcement tactic and power. Well, and I know the other the other thing which was briefly mentioned was decriminalization. Mm -hmm. And I know last year at the tail end of the session, that was sort of the last concession of maybe that's something. Mm -hmm. I think we're making a clear statement that decriminalization is, is not enough. So to people who don't fully understand the kind of nuance, um, how are we going to keep going full bore on legalization and counteract the argument of for people who say decriminalization is, is enough and that's working fine and people mm -hmm. aren't being arrested anyways? What's the counter to that? Well, they may not be being arrested, um, but they are being searched, seized, frisked. Um, they're being treated like criminals. Uh, and the goal of the decriminalization bill uh, and statute that passed several years ago was I mean, the name is decriminalization, so that should have been what actually happened. Unfortunately, it didn't. Um, we need to uh, have better legislation that ensures that people don't feel like criminals for doing something that is no worse for them or for the community than, uh, than, than alcohol. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, our final interview this episode is with Matthew Tolley, the grassroots coordinator for the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. Matthew is a recent graduate of UVM, knows that the drug war has failed and is being uh, directly involved in part of that change, working with Vermont Coalition to Regulate, hitting those phones, getting people in the mix. We talked a lot about grassroots advocacy. Uh, we talked about sort of what he hears when he talks to these dozens, hundreds, thousands of Vermonters about cannabis, sort of what are the common themes, what they're saying most often, and how we get those messages to representatives. We talked about dank memes, okay? You know what dank memes are? Dank memes melt still beams, that's just a fact. Um, we had really just, it was a fun conversation because he's, a, he's an enthusiastic guy. Uh, you know, he's someone who really is on the front lines. I don't know how many of the rest of us are calling 200 people a day to talk about weed and having 50 of them just hang up in our face, right? Not an easy gig, so you got to be really down for the cause and uh, really respect the work that he's done and pumped to see him get more students involved because, God damn it, this is for us, the young folk in Vermont. I'm 29 and feel pretty washed. Uh, this guy can't be more than like 22 or 23. We've been to UVM, we know Champlain's got stuff going on. Vermont students, you know, rise up. Hit up the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. Find Matthew, you know, good looking kid, smart guy. He'll put together an event on your campus. He'll come and talk. He'll teach you guys how to get activated. And we're gonna collaborate on some fun stuff. So here's Matthew Tolley talking about grassroots outreach in Vermont, what he hears, what you can talk about with your representatives and generally how to get fired up and involved. Matthew, you are the grassroots coordinator for the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. Uh, you've been at this since the winter time, but you're a recent grad from UVM. Mm -hmm. What'd you study, how'd you get into this, and what's been your experience thus far? 
Um, yeah, so I uh, graduated UVM at the end of the summer, actually. I uh, took some summer courses and finished up. I was a sociology major, economics minor, and I uh, actually stumbled upon this, uh, you know, just, I, I found it online, actually. It was sort of, uh, so happened to be. Um, you were reading Hedy Vermont. Obviously. Right, yeah, of course, okay. yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I studied uh, the war on drugs a lot in college. That was, uh, that was uh, sort of a, a huge um, inspiration for, in terms of uh, job search and career path. Um, so yeah, I... It's a uh, true millennial trying to do what he actually cares right, about. Right, right, exactly. Um, so yeah, it was, I finished my last class and then um, I got hired. Uh, it was actually at the end of August when I started working. Um, uh, the grassroots uh, scene. So maybe you can kind of give people an impression because the people have heard Marijuana Policy Project and they don't understand exactly what that means mm -hmm. in each state. So we have the Vermont Coalition to Regulate. They get support from the national office. Mm -hmm. But here in Vermont, it's actually, it's you and it's Laura and I think some other folks. So it is actually an independent Vermont outfit you guys are running here. Right, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, during you know, my grassroots organizing, you know, when I would go out to events and talk to people, it was, um, it was a conversation definitely tailored to Vermonters. It was, you know, addressing their concerns uh, specific to Vermont. So I definitely had, you know, a message to deliver that, you know, can be uh, attributed to a national scale. You know, everything that we were talking about in the press conference today, where it's, you know, the underground market, bring it above ground, uh, and essentially, you know, prohibition has failed, but also, addressing concerns of indiv individual Vermonters that really makes, you know, uh, Vermont, Vermont in, right. in that sense. Well, and as someone who's, you know, you've gone to school here, you've, you've lived here, and now you've talked to hundreds, maybe even thousands at this point of Vermonters yep, about absolutely. it. What are some of those, those kinds of common themes? Because we know Vermont's got a pretty, uh, pretty liberal individual culture, mm -hmm. liberal with a small L. Um, <laughs> right. Yep. You know, and, and libertarian, I would say. Yeah, I agree um, with that. We've got a lot of people out living in rural areas. You know, we've got a lot of people who are doing this. I think our usage rates were number two in the country for monthly use. Mm -hmm. So we're actually higher, no pun intended, but totally intended, than <laughs> right. every other state, I think, than D.C. on a monthly mm -hmm. basis per citizen. So sort of what are some of the Vermont, the Vermont narratives that you hear over and over again and that you're relaying to politicians and that, you know, people... That, that really resonate. Sure, yeah. So the so for people who are in favor of this cause, their biggest thing is just why haven't we done it yet? Why wasn't Vermont the first one to do it in the Northeast? It's sort of a you know, of course this is what should happen. You know, of course this is this is Vermont and that totally represents us. Um, and then there's uh, people who uh, in the last piece of legislation S two forty one that came across, it was their frustration was uh, you know their home grow was not the option. Home grow is something that I've heard time and time again from people where that is ultra important to um, to any kind of marijuana legalization that happens uh, in Vermont. And uh, it's, yeah, so home grow is important and um, it's it's the pe people's, you know, other paranoia is that it's, there's going to be uh, a few large companies that come in and completely take over the operation. Right. So... But you kind of hear that that uh, that sort of classic Yankee New England pragmatism mm -hmm. when you talk about why haven't we done this already, and I think that's something that's kind of you know hurt the cause. Seeing this play out over the last two years, mm -hmm. especially last session, where you'd have the people who who were very passionate and would participate, but a lot of people who were passionate and maybe weren't going to pick up the phone call or maybe you know weren't going to go and speak out at that event because they were worried about stigma, you know. But that that silent majority, 
Right. Right. Yeah, that absolutely. that kind of cliche. So how do you guys reach those people who say, listen, you know, I'm totally down with the cause, obviously, but I'm a teacher, you mm -hmm. know, and I maybe if I'm willing to call my representative, I'm going to do it in private. And what can I say? So how do you kind of help people get over that stigma? Do we need more more football players, <laughs> you know, coming coming out of the cloud? Do we need millionaires to be able to have this before regular people? Like, right. what sort of pushes those buttons, and how do you get that that silent majority who supports you, but you know, needs that little extra kick? How do you give them that push? Yeah, it's it's tricky, uh, especially on the grassroots level. I just think the more influential people we can hear in Vermont, that sort of, that will inspire other people. I think. Um, you know, Dave Zuckerman being a lieutenant governor now who has, you know, been an advocate for so many years now, I think that really helps. I think that definitely uh, changes um, the way that uh, people view it or, you know, people who have some sort of paranoia or fear about coming out and talking about it. Um, but then um, I think also in Massachusetts and Maine, the fact that it's legal now, that uh, will absolutely inspire people to who have been, you know, silent, the, the silent majority of supporters who will let come me give out and you, talk. Let me give you two anecdotes to that. Mm -hmm. I had New Year's Eve, I was at an undisclosed ski resort in northern Vermont, mm -hmm. um, stepped outside, and one of the guys I was riding the shuttle with, we were taking the shuttle down to the bar to go see the, the festivities, and, you know, this guy, everybody's kind of half in the bag at that point. It's like, you know, 11 o'clock on New Year's. Mm -hmm. And uh, this yeah. guy pulls out, he, he pulls a doobie out of his pocket. And now we're still in Vermont, but it's like New Year's. It's, you know, dark. It's dumping snow. And this guy was so proud of the fact, not only that he just had a doobie, but he had grown it himself. Mm -hmm. And he was so excited. He said, you know, I have this kind, and I have this kind, and I have this kind. It's legal in Massachusetts. And just some regular average Joe Schmo. Mm -hmm. Same same location, different circumstances. Made a guy from Maine. He's there under totally different circumstances, but he's someone who's a legal grower. And his quote, we put it on the Facebook page, the hardest part about being a legal grower in Maine is that we have to transport it to Vermont to sell it. <laughs> because that's where, that's where the gray market is. Right. Yeah. And even though they are operating legally, you know, there's still, there's still kind of that component and we're providing that opportunity. So when you talk about those neighboring states, these are real examples that I think any random person in Vermont could have had. Mm -hmm. I mean, now we're talking about ski resorts, so maybe I'm stereotyping a little bit, <laughs> you know, too, but um, it really seems like, have you seen kind of felt the effect of that pressure, you know, from those other states where you have prohibition parties in Mass and in Maine and mm -hmm. people kind of saying, why not us? And maybe that's you know, that's what gives them the nudge. And then do you have like a Vermont coalition burner you just pull out with all the legislature's cell phones right in there and <laughs> say, all right, we're dialing right now, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, because it's happened so recently, I think that, you know, people are still uh, learning about what they're doing and, you know, they're still asking questions, you know, like, uh, you know, when does that retail market uh, become available? Because, you know, we know it's legal now, but they're, you know, not selling it just yet. Um, but yeah, speaking earlier about you know having you know what kind they grew, you know being so proud that they grew it. You know we have the the craft beer movement that's you know I would say started in Vermont, um, and that's you know people are are proud of their beer in that way. You know why not you know the same thing with marijuana? I think we could you know abs there actually absolutely exists a culture that um, you know that uh, mimics that. And, and I, I, I will say from uh, what I've heard people tell me, if you get some growers together. You know, and people just always, they bring and they swap, and it's such a, I mean, they totally nerd out beyond even the average stoner's <laughs> right, appreciation. Yeah. They get together, but they're so pumped to just pass around that Tupperware tray, mm -hmm. you know, allegedly, you know, and share and share these things. So right, yeah. there was a good study that came out um, fall 
2015, I think it was uh, the National Gardening Association about what the impact of homegrown would be for just people gardening. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote a story called The Gateway to Gardening about it um, and about Green State Gardener and sort of their emergence. Yep. And so, you know, that seems like a very good Vermont story to tell too that, you know, hey, all these people who are in agriculture already, all these people who, you know, are interested in it, are mm -hmm. agricultural curious, um, who might start doing things in their backyards or in their house, all this, um, that's another great angle. So yeah, absolutely. it seems like we have no shortage of good stories to tell. Right, it's true. And yeah. now we just need to figure out what's the, what do we do as far as technology to get people involved? Yep. Do we do we do phone banks? I mean, do we have any, are there any Bernie Sanders organizers who we can sort of scoop up off of Church Street? Right, who haven't yeah. been already snatched up and, and get these people on the grassroots mission? Kind of how do we, how do we get that, that revolution? Do we need more dank memes? Is it a lack of memes, <laughs> right. perhaps? A lack of memes, right. Yeah, and I'm still exploring all avenues. You know, my, my role has sort of changed um, from uh, getting people out, you know, person to person to, you know, now I'm more at my desk, you know, again, like you said, calling out to people, you know, through whatever mediums we can. And uh, I'm definitely willing to experiment with um, all forms of social media platform and, uh, and yeah, just all avenues that, uh, you know, we can, we can get the word out and, and have people find us as much as we go out and, and talk to them, I think is, is really key. That's right. Well, I know we're looking a lot, we're looking forward to collaborating with you guys, talking about doing some events and, uh, you know, making some dank memes. Right. So, all right. Matthew, thank you very much. Thanks very much. Yeah, I appreciate it.